Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Very warm welcome to Revelation Church. My name's Rich. Uh, it's great to have you with us. I'm one of the leaders here um, at Rev. Happy New Year um, to you all. This is our first Sunday of 2022. Um, we haven't met like this, as Malcolm mentioned, um, for about a month or so. Um, we had our carol service on the 12th of December. We um, unfortunately uh, cancelled church in the run-up to Christmas on the 19th. Um, and so then here we are. Uh, we've landed in 2022. Um, and I guess you could say it's somewhat of a bizarre season um, that we're in. Um, but today uh, we're back. We're in Maria Fidelis and we're going to be kicking off a new series um, and we're going to be preaching through the vision of the church. So over the next few weeks and months, we're going to be preaching through um, the vision that we feel God has given us as a church. And just to frame this whole series, really, in um, Proverbs 29, uh, there's a great little verse, Proverbs 29, verse 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off retraint restraint. And we feel that God has given us this vision. This is a prophetic vision that we're carrying as a church. And actually, the, that verse in Proverbs warns us that, that, that where there is no prophetic vision, that people cast off restraint. They do whatever they want. They're, 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 not, they're not brought together. They're not unified around a central purpose. It's around um, a central direction. And obviously, ultimately, we center around Jesus. We gather around Jesus, but we also gather um, around his plan and his purposes for us as his body, as, as the church, as the people of God. Um, and I guess when you look at it in the context of where we find ourselves um, in kind of January 2022, there probably isn't any of us in this room that haven't been affected uh, by COVID in some way, shape or form. Um, and for some of us, that might have been uh, very grave, a deep sense of, of loss or bewilderment um, at circumstances or maybe even what could have been over the last two years. For others of us, um, it may just have been that you've noticed that you have to wear a mask on public transport or you're now having to work from home or in, in the shops they've started to regulate at some point over the last two years the amount of people and you know they started to put all those arrows on the floor and everybody had to weave around and do like their little snake thing um, through the supermarkets and it, it's very unusual or it may even be um, that perhaps you, you faced untold pressures in your mind that your mental health has been affected through this season, struggling to keep up with, with, with the pressures of work, the pressures of life, um, that loss of relationship with one another, that loss of community. All of these things are, are, are hugely impacting um, to our lives. And I, to be honest, I've been surprised um, at the last two years, even at my own experience, um, and just how contrary um, throughout this period my, my, my experience has been. When... Uh, so in the first year, I guess, if you like, um, when things were a little bit quiet work-wise, it meant that me and my girls could just spend long summer days on the heath exploring different green spaces in North London, which is quite incredible, to be honest. 
But then other times, you know, you're, 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 you're locked into homeschooling, you're locked into um, trying to juggle um, what's going on with church life, you're trying to juggle work and, um, you know, you're trying to keep the kids on track with where they're supposed to be. Um, and it just feels like there's no break, there's no escape, there's no getting out of kind of this pressurized box that's all happening in a single home and it feels like anything's about to explode at any moment. Um, and, and that's a very real journey that I've been on over the last two years and then in the midst of that mixture of emotions and feelings perhaps someone suggests a zoom quiz and everyone starts panicking it's not that I've got anything wrong with quizzes but obviously very often these can be kind of quite ordinary things um, that just kind of seem to cause um, huge upset and upheaval in the midst of what is already um, a very disorientating, um, confusing season. And either way, I expect coming into this year, uh, with even within this room, there's a whole mixture of emotions um, about what the year holds, um, about what's going on. Um, even having to um, cancel church in the run-up to Christmas, um, it, it's just not normal. Would we even be able to, to meet this Sunday? Would we be able to gather back together as we'd want to? Would we go back into another lockdown? Are they going to send kids home from school again? Um, and, and constantly having to change and adapt, um, not just plans, but also in our mind. Um, and even over Christmas, many of us would have been affected. Our plans may have been disrupted as different people tested positive. And this is, this is the season we're living in. And, and, and this is the season that where we come into a new year and we want to look with optimism to the future. We want to, you know, get our vision boards out. We want to start, you know, dreaming a little bit about what God is going to do over the next year whilst in the midst of it facing some real uncertainty. And if you're somebody that likes to plan and, and have things kind of all ordered, then this, this, this season has been incredibly difficult. It's thrown up all sorts of questions, and it's probably forced you to, to, to try and work out where are you placing your confidence? Are your confidence in those plans, or is your confidence in Jesus? And to be honest, even if you embrace spontaneity, and even if you like change, you're probably still asking those same questions given the last couple of years that we've had. And so with all of this as a backdrop, painting this, this picture that's just a huge melting pot of emotion and, and, and uncertainty, when we stand here and preach, which I'm going to do today, we don't preach into a vacuum. We preach into a situation. We open God's word and we reveal God's truth and we let God's truth speak into our situations. And so I could preach this sermon in a different season and the way we respond in our heart could be completely different. But because of where we find ourselves and because of the situation we find ourselves in, it, it, for some of us, we will want to embrace it. For others of us, it, it, it may actually feel a little bit unsettling. But as we open God's word, I want us to, to, to humbly sit under God's word and hear what, what God would say to us. And so we're going to be looking today at, at where do we go from here as a church? How do we move forward? What are we building as a church? What are we building towards? And so I'm going to pray. And then we're going to kick off. Lord Jesus, we thank you.
for this time together. Lord, I pray that as we open your word together, that, Lord, you would speak to us. Lord, that in the midst of all the noise, the confusion, the disorientation, that in the midst of it, Lord, you would bring your clarity right into the heart of what you've called us to. Lord, none of this has caught you off guard. Lord, we just acknowledge that, that none of this has caught you by surprise. And Lord, you have a path for us to walk through it. And so, Lord, we say by your grace, Lord, with faith, Lord, would we put one step in front of the other and trust you to lead us as we take hold of your vision for us as a church, as we take hold of your grand vision for humanity and your purposes on the earth. In Jesus' name, amen. This keeps slipping one second. There we go. So then what is our vision as a church? Well, if you've been to Intro Rev, you would have heard it. Um, if you've um, ever asked or been to a uh, family meeting, you would have uh, seen it as we work through the agenda. Our vision as a church is broken into four elements, essentially. That at Revelation Church, we want to see 300 spiritually big people raised up. That we want to be a, ch- a resourcing church that serves the wider body with gifts and talents and ministries, and that we want to be a church that plants churches postcode by postcode across North London. And then finally, fourthly, that we want to be a church that plants churches into the cities and nations of the world. And now, with that in mind, we're going to read from Isaiah. Um, We're going to read from Isaiah 61. It will come up uh, on the screen behind me. Um, But a little backdrop to Isaiah. Isaiah uh, is a prophet. He's delivering a message from God to the people of God. And Isaiah was written in about 700 BC. um, And it reveals a message to God's people um, about what's going to happen. Um, And here in Isaiah 61, there's a promise from God of a savior who will come. And so let's read from uh, verses 1 through to 4. There we go. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise, instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And now this is a wonderful passage talking about this saviour to come, the Messiah as the Uh, people of God would have understood it. In fact, it's so popular uh, that even Jesus quoted it. (laughs) In fact, Jesus quoted it about himself in Luke chapter 4. He he, he read out this first verse all the way through to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he did so right at the beginning of his public ministry on earth. You see, until that point, Jesus had essentially been a carpenter working the family business. Um, 
And then he's been baptized. He went into the wilderness for 40 days and nights. And then he returns to Nazareth, his hometown. He comes home. And he stands in the synagogue and he reads this astonishing declaration about himself. And in that moment, in Luke chapter 4, there's absolute silence. As all eyes fix on him. Jesus effectively is setting out what is his vision. What is his purpose on earth? He's saying in the next three years, this is what I've come to do. Jesus says and. Um, Jesus says this, um, he says that Isaiah 61, he says it's about me. It's about my ministry. And the reality is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you are a disciple, a believer here today, then at some point you've made that decision to put your trust in Jesus' salvation. There was a moment at which you said, Jesus, I choose to believe that Isaiah 61 was written about you. And I trust that only you can heal a broken heart. Only you can set me free from this prison of sin and selfishness. It's interesting to notice where Jesus finishes in Luke chapter 4. Uh, he finishes to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And here in Isaiah 61, it then goes on to read, and the day of vengeance for our God. And so in between those two lines, there's a period. There's a period of history, if you like, that metaphorical year of the Lord's favor, that if we turn to Jesus and we put our trust in him, then we can know undeserved favor. We can know his grace towards us. This is such incredible news. And if you've never done that today, I want to urge you, today is the day. Because this is the year of the Lord's favor. There is a day coming. The Bible calls it the day of judgment, a day of vengeance, when it will be too late. And interestingly, I really want us to, uh, uh, I could spend a long time in these first few lines in Isaiah 61, but I really want us to pick up on what happens after those verses. See, verse 1, if you like, is, is what Jesus does for us. Um, and, then, and then as we move into verse 3, it then begins to look at what Jesus then begins to do to us. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. And then verse 4 is just what, is what God begins to do through us. What God begins to do through these people that he's healed, these people that he's restored. You see, 700 years later, after this was written, when Jesus stands in the synagogue and says, says, quotes this passage from Isaiah, he's setting in motion a pattern of events that begin with salvation, begin with his earthly ministry, begin when he dies on the cross for our sin, and continues on as we work through these verses. You see, in verse 3, he restores our joy. He stirs up praise within us. He causes us to spiritually mature as oaks of righteous. He makes us big people. And all this for the sake of his glory. 
And if you, are, if, you, if you are not a believer, turn to anybody in this room and ask them about their own experience. Ask them about what happened when they surrendered their life to the Lord. And they'll tell you what God has done. They'll give you an account of, of how God has transformed their heart. How he's replaced anger with peace. Or maybe how he's replaced sorrow with joy or pride with humility. Timidity with boldness. Maybe aimlessness with intentionality. Selfishness with generosity. All of these things are wrapped up in the good news of Jesus. And then we land in verse 4. That could have been problematic. Let me verse, let's read verse 4 again. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And now, we don't have loads of time um, to, to delve into the specifics of what these ancient ruins, former devastations, ruined cities. Um, it's metaphorical language that's being used. Um, but there are also periods in history when physically um, that that happened. We'll look at that in just a second. Um, and theologians are often going backwards and forwards trying to place the date of when this restoration, when this rep rep repairing happens. Um, and there's discussions about that. But one thing that we all agree on, one thing that they all agree on, um, far more learned scholars than myself, but one thing that is agreed upon is that it happens subsequent. It happens after the Messiah's coming. It happens after Jesus's uh, reveals himself as saviour to the world. And I just want to pick up on two things to draw out of uh, these verses. In verse 4, there's this repetition of they. They is used, a plural pronoun. It's not a singular effort. There's no one person that accomplishes this. If you like, it, it's something that is accomplished together. And I think it demonstrates something of the heart of God. That salvation is, is, is a work in our own lives, but it's not a work in isolation. Salvation is not just me and my personal relationship with God. Salvation is actually the act of taking individuals and placing them with a collective identity and a collective purpose. And now when you look at the last year, with lockdowns, with self-isolations, that's only exacerbated some of the individualism that just permeates our culture. It, it, it kind of, it almost feeds this narrative that we are islands and independent of one another. Perhaps it's even begun to erode our understanding of what the church is and whether we even need the church. Second thing to pick, to, to, to pick out is, is they, the plural, the collective, the people, they build. There is a restoration, a raising up, a repair that takes place by this collective effort from a group of people. It's restorative. And that which was lost, or maybe even written off, is recovered and repaired. It's built up. And maybe over the last couple of years, perhaps we've lost sight of some of the things that God has placed in our hearts, some of the things that God has birthed in, in, in our lives, some of the vision that we're carrying as a church. Perhaps we've lost sight of actually what we're building and actually where we're going. 
And that's a big part of why we're doing this series. Because where we lose sight of that, Proverbs 29, where there's no prophetic vision, the people show no restraint. And so so to help bring unity, to help bring order, to help bring um, us together into a body of people that are gathered around Jesus, that are invested in the same goals as he is invested in, to reignite some of those passions that this can be accomplished. That's why we come together and we build. You see, as I mentioned previously, the Israelites had a taste of this. Uh, A quick history lesson. So Isaiah delivers this prophecy in about 700 BC. And about a century or so later, the people of God get conquered by the Babylonians. They get carried off into exiles. And and a part of that, they basically destroy Jerusalem. They basically take whatever is um, valuable um, and they raise the thing to the ground. They destroy the temple and it's basically left in heaps and ruins. And uh, we read in the book of Nehemiah uh, how the people of God, when they return to Jerusalem, they begin to rebuild the city, this holy city. And, and, and it's fraught with little battles and skirmishes um, as the people struggle to rebuild the walls and gates for their own protection so that they can begin to rebuild homes, businesses, um, streets, all of those, the temple, all of those sorts of things. And miraculously, God makes a way. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 15, we read that they rebuild the walls in 52 days, which is astonishing when you think about it, which is incredible. It's a miraculous provision of God for his protection for his people. Now, bear in mind, the people of God are living with this prophecy from a couple of hundred years earlier about rebuilding, about restoring, about repairing, about reestablishing what God is doing. And, and, and you might be tempted to think, well, this is it. This is prophecy finally being fulfilled. And it's even more glorious than before, um, except at the pinnacle of completion as they come to finish the temple. Now, you've got to understand the temple was a bit of a focal point. It was a focal point for the whole nation. It represented God's presence with them. And then we read this in Ezra chapter 3, verses 10 to 13. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout. And when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid, But many of the priests and Levites and heads of fathers' houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. You see, what we see here is this crowning glory of Israel, this epicenter of their faith, the focal point for their identity as a nation, as it's being completed, as it's coming together, 
as the foundations are being marked out according to King David's, um, King David's dimension. So it would have been according to the old uh, pattern. And yet within the people, there's, there's, there's contrasting responses. Some are shouting for joy that it's been rebuilt. And finally, now they have somewhere to worship. And others are weeping as what's been lost. You see, those that never saw the temple before captivity are rejoicing. They've never experienced something like this. They're celebrating. Whilst those who remember, they weep. Because it doesn't come close to the, the grandeur and the splendor of the former temple. You see, if this is the, if this is the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, it just feels a bit flat. It doesn't feel like the rousing situation that perhaps it should have been. As they map out the physical foundations of the temple, they realize there's nothing like what it was. And in the same way, perhaps many of us have entered this new year, or even earlier, perhaps since we returned to in-person last August. And there's this mixture of emotions some of us are rejoicing that now we can finally meet back together. Now we can sing again. Now we can praise. Now that I can preach. I don't have to wear a mask. I'm, I know you have to wear a mask. But I don't have to wear a mask. But finally, we're back together. We can break bread together. We can take communion. We can start moving forward. We can start to build. We can embrace what God's doing. But then equally, there may be some of us that actually Rev doesn't feel like it did pre-pandemic it doesn't feel like it did before we've returned and then all of a sudden there's perhaps some key people that have left and all of a sudden that the, the blueprint doesn't quite seem to match what we originally thought and doesn't quite feel like it did and the way now that all the people that we're now building with have all of a sudden changed position or moved away and we're trying to reconcile all of these things and in the process you may even have had to, 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 to mourn the loss of some of those things that happened very quickly um, over the last two years. And you're trying to reconcile this mixture of emotion. And I want to say that, that within the plan and purposes of God, all of those emotions, all of those feelings are right and appropriate. There is a time when that's right and appropriate. But they shouldn't then define our future. So they shouldn't then determine what we feel God has spoken to us about. Because none of this has caught God off guard. And so actually we can stand with confidence knowing that there is a path for us to navigate through this. Bewildering, confusing, disorientating season. Call it what you will. There is, there is a godly path that we can walk through and navigate this together. You see, we don't put our confidence or hope in, in, in man-made structures or, or systems or even buildings like they did in Ezra. We put our confidence... When we put our confidence in what we are physically building in an earthly sense, it, it's always going to fall short compared to when we look at what God is building. And I think that's why when we talk about 
our vision, when we talk about some of the situations and things going on around us, we have to, we have to hold this bigger picture in mind that actually God is working something out. God is doing something. And now I know there will always be things that can be said, comments that can be made. Um, there's another way to look at things, absolutely. Um, different priorities that have got to be juggled, that, that raise themselves at different times. And you have, to, you, you have to walk with faith and humility, clinging to God and, and asking for him for clarity on the way through, figuring out, okay, God, what is it that you're saying? And in this season, and, and if what he's saying is then going to take twice as long, so be it. It's important that we walk according to his plan. We don't try and think of it in terms of what's the most efficient way from A to B. But we have to try and think what, 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 what spiritually is the most appropriate and right way through this thing. You see, when we build according to God's plan, that trumps everything. You see, when God says this is the next step, then we move. When God says this is the blueprint that I'm mapping out, this is the foundations that I want to instill in you, the design and positioning that he's put in place with the people that he's placed around us, you see, if our vision as a church is not rooted in the heart of God and it's not built according to his design, then it's always going to be left wanting. And that's exactly what we saw in Ezra. That actually where people put their confidence in, in, in earthly things, they were found wanting. It didn't quite match up. It, was, it didn't quite, it didn't quite feel, feel like the fulfillment of that prophecy. That's because it wasn't. If you remember, I said right at the start, in Luke 4, Jesus stood up in the synagogue. And with that declaration from Isaiah 61, he set in motion a systematic pattern of events whereby he was, he was, he was bringing salvation and he was calling us, he was calling people into his family and through, through them, through us, we get this incredible picture that they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. And as we look around us in society, there is much devastation. There is many ruins, businesses left in tatters. I was chatting with a friend of mine who... who, who uh, he's, runs a business, and he was saying, we've, we've lost like 50, 60% of our turnover in a year. You know, that's just decimated. And he's like, I'm having, to, I'm having to work twice as long to try and build back up to where we were. You know, and they're employing 30 people or so, and it's hard. And, 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 and society is, is on the back foot. They're struggling. So then what is this that Jesus came to accomplish? Well, we read in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members 
of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Verse 19, we're no longer isolated individuals. We're no longer aliens and strangers, but now we've been joined together. We've been joined, we've been brought into this beautiful collective identity that we now own. We're now fellow citizens with the saints, with one another, with members of the household of God. And verse 20, our foundation is not man-made. It's not mapped out with, uh, as it was in the temple with e- in Ezra. It's centered on Jesus, the cornerstone. The, the meaning of a cornerstone has, has got a bit lost in our modern world because, because of the way we build things. Technology has moved forward so fast that, that things can be um, through sketches, renderings, very precise um, technology doesn't mean you means you don't actually have to have a cornerstone. You have to have a start point. You don't necessarily have to have a stone. But when this was when 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 this was written, the cornerstone was the first stone to be laid. It went on top of the foundations. It was the first visible stone, and every other stone was placed in reference to that stone. It wasn't that every stone was placed, well, there's one brick, there's another brick, there's another brick. No, it was this stone was laid, then this stone was laid because it had to go next to this one. And then this one was laid because it had to go to this one. And, then, and the further you go, it all comes back to this cornerstone. And so when it talks about Jesus as the cornerstone, he's the very center of this building. He sets the dimensions. He determines everything's position. He determines everything's function according to that cornerstone. And if we don't build with Jesus as that cornerstone, then we'll not really understand our place and position within the context of the rest of the building. And so actually each of us here in this room if we're not building with Jesus as our cornerstone and foundation and, and, and centering point, then it's kind of like just a bunch of people in a room in the same way that it would be just a bunch of bricks thrown together. It, it, Jesus, Jesus is the center. Jesus is that cornerstone, brings order, and he brings direction. He brings purpose. And I think one of the biggest challenges of the last two years is that with the pandemic, being out of regular community, our place and our purpose has become somewhat clouded. And our eyes maybe have begun to turn away from what God has called us to. And perhaps God's vision for our lives, for us as a church, has perhaps been eclipsed by some of the events and situations and complexities and noise that's just surrounded us. And that's why we're preaching through a series on our vision. To help bring clarity, to help bring back into focus what it is that Jesus has called us to. What it is that as a church we are about.
What are we building together? So let me remind you then our vision. So at Revelation Church, we want to see 300 spiritually big people raised up. We want to be a resourcing church that serves the wider body with gifts, talents, ministries. And we want to plant churches across North London, postcode by postcode. Praise God that we managed to send Tottenham last year. And we want to plant churches across the cities and nations of the world. And as we set about this vision, and as we work through this series together, I'm confident that God will work miraculously in our hearts, and he will unify us into that temple. In in Ephesians, uh, we read about that temple. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. You see, Jesus is the cornerstone. And on him, we're centered within this body. And the picture in Ephesians there is that as we do that, by his grace, he comes to dwell, he comes to live within us, transforming, equipping us to then build together. Equipping us to then play our part. Equipping us to then find our purpose in the body of Christ. The purpose that he's called us to today. And we're going to sing in a minute as as way of response. But I really want to invite us to come over these next few weeks and months. To come with a sense of faith for what God is doing to come with a sense of, of, of getting caught up in the grand plan, something bigger than just ourselves. And to come join us as we explore this great and glorious vision that Jesus has given us. Why don't we stand to our feet? I'm going to pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you, Lord, thank you that you've stirred up salvation in our hearts. Lord, thank you for that beautiful picture, Lord, that you come to heal and restore our brokenness. Lord, that you came to us and that while we were your enemies, Jesus, you died for us. That, Lord, we could come into this family. We could be built into this incredible building, this incredible temple where you dwell by your Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray, fill our hearts with faith. Fill our, uh, fill our hearts with vision, Lord, for this year and beyond. Lord, help us to see through all the confusion. Help us to, to navigate that path through, the path that you would have us walk. Lord, we pray for strength and faith by your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.